Welcome to the Salt Church Podcast. We're a church that meets in the heart of Wollongong. Come and visit us on Sundays, 10am and 5pm at 275 Kira Street. We'd love to meet you. Thanks, Andy. Uh, Let's pray as we hear God's voice in the scriptures this morning. Our great Heavenly Father, help us now to, to focus, to concentrate, to hear what you might have to say to us as we open up your word. Thank you that you are the God who speaks, the God who wants to breathe life uh, into our lives. Give us hope, give us guidance. Help us to see Jesus more brightly this morning as uh, we look into your word and we, we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. I don't know whether you noticed, something extraordinary happened this morning as Tom and Mandy spoke to us. Uh, and it was the promise or the, the, the desire they have for their children. Uh, maybe you don't think that's all that extraordinary, but to say, I want my kids to grow up knowing Jesus, that is the most important thing to me, and I'm going to pray and act in a way that that happens. Uh, it's, been, it's, it's a real joy, isn't it? It's awesome to see a man in Tom, a father, say, there's my highest goal for my children. Uh, awesome to be doing that on Father's Day as well. Uh, awesome for Mandy. Uh, awesome when women say, for my children, I want them to know Jesus. That's what's important. It's very obvious, isn't it, what's important to the Wongs. Now, I reckon if you're honest with yourself, listen to this from, with me for a moment. What you hold dearly, your highest values... I reckon are often exposed in your hopes and dreams for your kids. Don't you see that on the sporting field? I wasn't a star, but gee, I wish. Uh, it's the hopes and dreams you have for your grandkids. Perhaps if you don't have kids, it's the hopes and dreams you'd hope that your friend's kids turn out like that. Um, we're not always honest about this, um, but for some it's actually a very different answer to the answer that the Wongs gave today. Uh, the answer is often status. I want my child to become someone of importance, significance. I want them to be a success. Others, it's to be rich. I never forget uh, a friend of mine who was training to be a doctor. Uh, and when his father found out that he was about to make the switch to Christian ministry, he literally spent months, even publicly, persuading him, please do not do it. I beg you, my friend was about to crush his father's dreams. How do you reckon most Aussies would finish this sentence? I just want my kids to be... What is it? I reckon for most people, I I just want my kids to be happy. Happiness is, is a very high ideal in our culture, isn't it? How many times have you heard people say, I don't mind what my kids do as long as they're happy? Uh, we even do it to adults as well. We kind of overlook all kinds of insane decisions, unwise choices, as long as they're happy, is what we say. Everyone wants to be happy. Um, I don't think there's anyone here that doesn't want to be happy. Uh, happiness, I've learned, is big business as well. Uh, the proof is in the hundreds of books written on how to be happy. Uh, I've worked out if you want to be rich, write a book on happiness. <laughs> Uh, It's a massive industry. Here's some of the titles that I saw recently. Uh, 10 Steps to Happiness, How to Be Happy Guaranteed, 
why you're not happy, the art of happiness, the how of happiness, the myths of happiness, authentic happiness, happiness hypnosis. <laughs> on and on it goes. But here's, here's a title. Uh, how to be 10% happier by Dan Harris. I don't know whether... Has anyone read that? Okay, there you go. I'll talk to you later. Uh, it's a funny title, isn't it? I go, 10% happier? What do you reckon my question is? That's not enough, is it? It's like, I don't reckon... I'm not motivated to read it uh, because 10% is not enough for me. Um, it feels like I'm not a good return on my investment. I pay $29.95. I spend weeks reading this book and then I might be, if it works, 10% happier. And 10% seems too small to measure anyway. But here's the thing, the author of this book apparently says something really significant about being happy, and that is, being happy is really hard. I don't know if you've ever thought about this, but why is it so hard? It's because life is so complex. Uh, there's so many things out of your control. Uh, there's, there's really bad stuff that happens to us. You're going to have to need, you're going to need to Think about suffering, and you're going to need to be able to suffer well and deal with it. And so Dan Harris concludes, if you could just aim to be 10% happier, that's probably really realistic. It's always evading us, isn't it, happiness? It's short-lived, it's transient, it's a bit like grabbing sand, you know, it just falls through your fingers the more you try and grab it. Um, and it's interesting in the West, isn't it, we've, we, we prize ourselves on the pursuit of happiness so highly, but we've become less happy less resilient, less robust, less able to cope with suffering and when things go wrong, we're terrible at dealing with death. A whole lot of reasons for that, isn't it? It's the effect of materialism, that we just believe that this is all there is. Uh, it's, it's kind of atheism, there is no God, or if there is, I'm, I'm kind of happy without him. It's the move away from Jesus and Christianity. And it's the studies that show that every, we have everything, but we're still unhappy. We're incredibly wealthy, and yet we're not happy. And here's the crazy thing. We know that money and possessions won't buy us happiness, but we keep pursuing it. We keep going after it. Uh, even those, it's not just the Bible that says that that's foolishness. Uh, many who aren't Christians will see this very clearly as well. But I reckon you also see it when you observe the rest of the world, when you observe the poor, when you observe the third world and the developing world, and you see how much, more they, how much more likely they are to trust God, give thanks to God, and how they are happier. In fact, I reckon that's what happens when you visit a third world country. We're surprised that they have so little and yet are happy and, and very often do thank God. And they are surprised we have so much and are unhappy and never give thanks to God. What's the problem? The problem is not the desire to be happy. I reckon the problem is where, to, where we're looking to find happiness. We're searching all the wrong places. Our passage this morning reminds us that being a follower of Jesus is truly, truly the best place you could ever find yourself to be. It is truly wonderful to find peace, hope, forgiveness in Jesus. But it is also really hard. In this life, to be a follower of Jesus is asking for a challenging life. And so today's passage, I think, is really helpful for us as we get our expectations right. It's helpful if you're considering following Jesus. I want to show you three big things from this chapter about what it's like to follow Jesus. Three big expectations 
uh, as you join Jesus' mission, as we follow the, the mission through in the book of Acts. And there is uniqueness in the book of Acts, isn't there? We've got to be careful as we do this. There's a uniqueness in Paul's ministry as the apostle. This is a unique time as God is saving the world, the, the beginning of his plans. But here's, I reckon, three things that you can't escape if you want to be a follower of Jesus and on mission with him. Uh, let's look at it together. So open up to Acts 14. Have your Bibles open, your, your phones there, Acts 14. Uh, we're in, as I said, in our unstoppable series. We've seen the historical account uh, as Luke, chapter by chapter, tells us how does the message, the good news of Jesus, go out to the world. Uh, what is that good news? It's Jesus has died, Jesus has risen to life, now you can be forgiven. Turn to him, have new life, make a new start, enter genuine friendship with God. There's the news that's going out to the ends of the earth. And Paul and Barnabas are travelling across the Mediterranean Sea. There's a, a bit of a map for you. Um, they're proclaiming this good news of Jesus as they go. Um, they've left the, the boat uh, in the Mediterranean Sea. They're up now in modern-day Turkey, so the top of the map there in Iconium. Uh, it's now the, the city of Konya in, in modern-day Turkey. And we're following them to Lystra, Derby. then they're backtracking to Antioch, a different Antioch, uh, Antioch in Pisidia, uh, down to Pamphylia and Perga on the coast there, across to the port of Attilia, and then sailing all the way back across the Mediterranean to the original city of Antioch in Syria. If you ever want to plan a trip to Europe, just check out Paul's itinerary. <laughs> uh, here is the historical account from Luke as what happened. Look at verse 1 with me. At Iconium... Paul and Barnabas went as usual into the Jewish synagogue. There they spoke so effectively that a great number of Jews and Greeks believed. But the Jews who refused to believe stirred up the other Gentiles and poisoned their minds against the brothers. Now the first expectation of being a follower of Jesus on mission with Jesus is a very sobering one. The good news of Jesus divides people. The good news of Jesus divides people. See, here, lots of people believed, lots of people refused to believe. Um, a great number of Jews and Greeks believed, it says, but the Jews refused to believe. And notice, they even uh, stir up others not to believe. Uh, they even went to the trouble of poisoning the minds of others so they would not believe. What is the result of speaking the good news of Jesus? Uh, look at verse 4. The people of the city were divided. Uh, it's, it's no strategy for unity. Some sided with the Jews, verse 4, some others with the apostles. Verse 5, there was a, a. Am I doing anything wrong here? No? Okay. All right. Verse 5, there's, there's, there's even a plot among both Gentiles and Jews, uh, together with their leaders, to mistreat and stone them. Uh, but they find out, they flee. Uh, they continue to preach the gospel, verse 7. See, the good news of Jesus is not perceived to be good news by everyone. Uh, it's massively confronting. There are actually very clearly two responses to the good news of Jesus. Uh, later, Paul would say in Corinthians, to some, this good news is like a pleasant aroma, a fragrance. Picture, smell your nicest perfume. That's what it's like for some. But for others, it's like the smell of death. It's like going to a funeral home. 
See, now that Jesus is risen, now that he's Lord of all, some will say, yes, Jesus is Lord, he's come for me. I want to be saved. I want to be forgiven. How good is this? I need him. But for others, it is a total, total offence. How dare Jesus make a claim on my life? How dare he? I'm quite comfortable to live life my own way without him. And so Jesus is disliked by people who want to keep the peace, want to keep unity. He's actually a threat to to people who want to hold a tight-knit community. I think the Jewish community in the first century was very much like that. A community that felt threatened now that Jesus is Lord. And it leads to hostility and plots and persecution. In fact, look down in verse 19. Paul is stoned to an inch of his life and he's dragged out of the city. Can you picture that? They thought he was dead for bringing the good news of Jesus to a people who do not want to hear it. I reckon we need to thank God that our culture is not like that. Uh, you might find it tough at times, but we have it good. We have it very good. We, we actually live, we would hope, in a genuinely tolerant and pluralistic community where different points of views can be heard, where different uh, communities can grow up, different worldviews in the same nation. At least that's uh, what we're hoping for, praying for. It's not always that way, is it? It might change. Uh, it feels like it's being tested at times. Uh, and for some of you, I don't need to tell you that not everyone will love you when you say you're a follower of Jesus. Um, praise God if they do, but it's not what we're to expect. Jesus tells us actually to expect the opposite. Uh, Jesus says, don't look for popularity, but anyone who wants to be a disciple of mine must take up his cross and follow me. Let me share these words from Jesus with you. And Jesus said, Do not think I've come to bring peace on earth. No, I tell you, division. From now on, there'll be five in one family divided against each other, three against two and two against three. They will be divided, father against son and son against father, mother against daughter and daughter against mother, mother-in-law against daughter-in-law and daughter-in-law against mother-in-law. That's a sobering passage on a family feel kind of Sunday, isn't it? Jesus is massively big on family. He made family. But he's saying, if you put me first, even families will be divided. It's the same Jesus that said, to me, in me you may have peace. In this world you'll have trouble, but take heart, I've overcome the world. Uh, it's the theme of the New Testament, isn't it? Rejoice in suffering. Uh, consider yourself blessed If you mourn, you will be comforted as you wait for the resurrection. And don't don't misunderstand this. Um, Being forgiven by God, being known by God as your creator is the very best thing in the world. Uh, We rejoice in that. Uh, In him there is a deep love, a deep security, a peace, a family of believers. There's something incredibly deep and lasting to be a disciple of Jesus. Much, Much, much greater than fleeting happiness. Uh, The Bible calls it joy in difficulty, joy in suffering, joy in struggle. But being a disciple of Jesus will be hard. The good news of Jesus will divide people. In fact, we see Jesus divide people today, don't we? It's it's a picture 
of the last day. Uh, the two groups of people that Jesus says will happen. Those who love Jesus, those who are known by him, who humbly bow the knee to him and are forgiven by him, and those who refuse him. Uh, to one group, Jesus says, welcome home, come home. To the other group, he says, away from me, I never knew you. See, with so much at stake, there's, there's three responses here, I think, to opposition. Uh, let me show, show them to you. The first one is boldness in preaching the good news. See, Paul and, Paul and Barnabas persist, don't they? There's so much at stake. It, it's like they're saying, no, no, this is so good. This is so necessary. You must hear this. I'm going to persist. Verse 3, so they stayed there for some time and spoke boldly in reliance on the Lord, who testified to the message of his grace by granting them signs and wonders that, that were performed through them. So boldness is their response to difficulty, to division. Secondly, there's, there's wisdom from Paul and Barnabas. Uh, they're not masochists. They're not people who dive into martyrdom. They haven't got the martyrdom complex. Um, they know when to back off. Uh, in fact, in this first section, they flee at the right time. Uh, you, can't, you can't accuse them of cowardice. I think they're brave and they're wise. And thirdly, encouragement. They encourage the believers to keep going. Did you notice that? The return journey uh, is a journey of Paul and Barnabas, verse 21, strengthening the disciples and encouraging them to remain true to the faith because that's exactly what they need in, in, because it's so hard to be a disciple. We'll look at the second big thing with me as they move to Lystra, uh, where the good news of Jesus creates misunderstanding. We've had division and now we get misunderstanding. Uh, here they are in a pagan country. They've they're not in the Jewish synagogue. Uh, they haven't gone to the Jews first because the, there is no synagogue in Lystra, presumably. There's no Jews in Lystra. Can you see the good news now is going beyond the Jew, beyond the Gentile, beyond the Greek, beyond the God-fearing Greek, to the pagan, the person who doesn't fear God, the person who worships other gods. This is where the good news has got to. And what happens? Paul heals a man born paralysed. It's, it's an extraordinary miracle, isn't it? Here is a man who's, who's from birth has been paralysed. He's never been able to walk. His body is not made and shaped and for walking. And here he is, get up, walk, and he walks. It's just one of a number of miracles isn't it? that, that uh, testify to the genuineness of the apostles like Jesus, that they are the true messages of Jesus. They saw the resurrected Jesus. But notice when the crowd saw this, they completely misunderstand what's going on. Look at verse 11. They say the gods have come down to us in human form. Barnabas they called Zeus and Paul they called Hermes because he was the chief speaker. The priest of Zeus, whose temple was just outside the city, brought bulls and wreaths to the city gates because he and the crowd wanted to offer sacrifices to them. There's another little historical detail here in the book of Acts. Uh, Zeus and Hermes were Greek gods. Uh, there was even a myth in this part of the world that these gods had visited uh, this city in the past. They hadn't been treated well, they hadn't been welcomed, and they obliterated those who didn't welcome them. So perhaps there was fear, as it often is with the gods, 
um, that if we don't welcome them, if we don't honour them, if we don't worship them, the same thing will happen to us. There's great superstition, isn't there, and fear to do with the gods. They're often at war with one another. They're often capricious, angry, fickle, self-seeking. Don't ever assume that the gods of the nations are like the God of the Bible. They're not. And it's a fascinating interest, uh, interesting insight into culture and human nature, isn't it? Here are human beings who've never come across the gospel of the Lord Jesus, but desire to worship, long to worship. In fact, isn't that the, the, the case across every culture, every people group in the world? They long and they look for someone or something to worship. It's the way we've been made. And for them, it's, it's the Greek gods, Hermes and Zeus. Uh, we have other gods, don't we? We are not our gods, the celebrities of Hollywood. Are our gods not the sports stars? Would not the people of Lystra come to our nation and go, you have gods. You spend billions of dollars on your gods. You have built stadiums for your gods. Your gods are money, status, sport. But they just keep letting us down, don't they? But we keep worshipping. And what does Paul say? Paul says, I've got some incredibly good news for you. There is someone much, much better than those gods. Look at verse 15. Turn from the worthless things to the living God who made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them. What's Paul saying? There is a God. He's your creator and he's incredibly, incredibly good. Turn to him. He's incredibly kind. Look at verse 17. He's shown kindness by giving you rain from heaven and crops in their season. He provides you with plenty of food and fills you with hearts with joy. Uh, over the last month, I've, I've been taking a, a, a few weeks break and I've been reflecting on God's kindness lately. God's kindness in creation, that God is so kind in what he provides for us. Uh, you know, when you go on a holiday and you go, this is just so enjoyable. It's simple. It's the bush. It's the sun. It's the... It's good weather that we don't have in Wollongong at the moment. It's, it's love, lovely food and company. Uh, things, the world that works and is enjoyable is the world that God made. It's the world that shows that God is kind to us. And not just to us because we love him. He was always kind to us before we loved him. And he's kind to everyone even rebels who don't love him, even people who ignore him. And of course, for Paul, that's just the start of God's kindness. That's just the surface of God's enormous kindness. Ultimately, his kindness is shown in Jesus, isn't it? that he sends his son to die that we might be forgiven of our sins and have eternal life. That's kindness. I wonder, as you think about that, like the men and women of Lystra. Do you need to rethink God? Some people think of God as cranky, judgmental, like the policeman in the sky, the distant grandfather, almost the abuser, the cruel tyrant. He's none of those. That is a million miles away from the God of Acts, of God of the Bible. He's kind. He's incredibly kind. 
And see, the crowd at Lystra has majorly, majorly misunderstood who this God is. Uh, There's lots of misunderstandings about God today, isn't there? Lots of misunderstandings about Christianity. Uh, The one I come across the most, by far the most, is you do need to be good enough to be Christian, don't you? And you're a Christian, so you must be really good. In fact, you're a pastor. You must be incredibly good. And they've never visited my home. Um, It's so good that that is not true. It is so good that God does not accept us because we are good, but has come down to us to forgive us if we surrender to him. He's done everything in Jesus, everything in his death on the cross that we might be completely forgiven. He's offered us a fresh start, not based on our performance. That is a kind God. Third thing, last thing, is really positive, is belief. Uh, The gospel brings division, it brings misunderstanding, but positively it brings belief. Did you notice this? The good news of Jesus brings belief in verse 1. They spoke so effectively that a great number of Jews and Greeks believed. Or verse 21, look down there, they preached the gospel in that city and won a large number of disciples. See, the apostles expected people to believe. They actually expected that this gospel is powerful. They actually knew that this is how God brings people to himself. This is how God is growing his church. It is God's work. We are his messengers. It is the the spirit that's doing his work in, in the mission of the apostles as they preach the gospel. And isn't it true that the, the apostles believed that there is no salvation outside of this good news message? And the apostles were never going to have anything to do with just leave that culture alone. That people, that people group are doing fine. No, no, the, the apostles believed the words of Jesus. I am the way, the truth, the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And so they keep proclaiming, they keep persisting, and many believed. God grew his church, the unstoppable gospel moved forward. So there's the reminder to us, three inevitable outcomes of the good news of Jesus. You'll get division, you'll get misunderstanding, but you'll also get belief. So I wonder as we we finish this morning, is that your expectation of being a follower of Jesus? Is that your expectation of being on mission with Jesus? Are you expecting division? Are you expecting misunderstanding? Are you expecting people to come forward and believe? It'd be really good to be clear on these things, isn't it? Uh, To not be taken by surprise. To actually expect not everyone's going to love me. To actually expect misunderstanding, to be patient, to persist. And to expect God will bring people to faith even through me. What else do we see this morning? Jesus brings life, brings hope, brings peace, brings more than happiness. Brings a deep joy, a security, a solid confidence that you're forgiven. Um, Andy mentioned it earlier, Father's Day, mixed emotions. But there is the Father who loves me, who cared for me, who sent his son to die for me. There is the true security, the eternal security. There is the rich relationship that that will satisfy, that will carry us through the toughest storms like no one else will, no one else can. Let me finish with a story from a guy 
a quote from a guy called Malcolm Muggeridge. Uh, he's a very successful English journalist. Uh, he's, he's now passed away. He lived last century. He was an agnostic, quite an quite a, um, opponent of Christianity. But he became a Christian and then he reflected on his life as a Christian. And he, said, he says this, I may, I suppose, regard myself or pass for being as a relatively successful man. People occasionally stare at me in the streets. That's fame. I can fairly easily earn enough to qualify for admission to higher society. That's success. Furnished with money and a little fame, even the elderly, if they care to, may partake of trendy diversions. That's pleasure. It might happen once in a while that something I said or wrote was sufficiently heeded for me to persuade myself that it represented a serious impact on our time. That's fulfilment. Yet I say to you this, and I beg you to believe me, multiply these tiny triumphs by a million, add them all together, and they are nothing, less than nothing. They are a positive impediment measured against one draught of that living water Christ offers to the spiritually thirsty, irrespective of who or what they are. So there's a man who, who gets it, yeah? Gets the deep joy, the real joy in Jesus that, that nothing compares to knowing Jesus. Everything is fading. Ultimately, nothing will last like his relationship with Jesus. Why don't I pray? Our great Heavenly Father, we, we thank you again for the reminder this morning of your unstoppable mission in Jesus. Thank you for the privilege of being part of your uh, saving of your world uh, as the message, the good news of Jesus goes out to the ends of the earth. Father, we are soberly reminded of the realities of being a disciple, uh, the division, the misunderstanding. But we thank, we thank you that you, in your kindness, in your mercy, uh, bring people to faith, even through us. Uh, further, Father, we pray you might help us to capture these realities, be reminded uh, of these sobering facts, uh, but help us to trust in you, to continue to live for you, to lean into that relationship that brings real joy and peace and security as we continue to be your disciples. Amen.